Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitcavage, and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check us out on the web at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is the head of editorial at Black Ballad, the award-winning digital platform for Black British women. Her debut novel, Hope and Glory, is out now by Trapeze Books in the UK and William Morrow in the US. I'm, of course, talking about Jandela Benson. Hey, Jandela, thanks for joining the podcast this morning, or I guess it's, you know, late afternoon, early evening for you, right? Earlier, well, late afternoon, yeah. kind of getting towards evening. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. I uh, read your book such a long time ago, I feel like, Hope and Glory, um, which is always a pleasure when a publicist that I that I really talk to a lot says you have to read this book. So I think I read it like w- way last year, definitely during the winter. Um, beautiful book. I loved it. It was funny. It was authentic. It, it just felt so fresh in so many ways. Oh, thank you. That's literally all that you ever want to hear. <laughs> so I read your book. Yes. And um, tell readers what Hope and Glory is about. I always like to get the author to say it because publicity copy or the media skews what books can be about. What, what, do you, what is Hope and Glory from Jandela's point of view? Yeah, sure. Um, so Hope and Glory starts off with Glory, who's returning to London, her hometown, because her dad has just died. So um, she's been living out in LA. All intents and purposes, it looks like she's having the time of her life. But when she returns, she finds her family in chaos. So her mom's on the verge of a mental kind of breakdown her brother is in prison her sister's in this very questionable marriage which glory doesn't approve of and she decides that she's gonna stay and she's gonna fix everyone's problems because of course she has all the answers as we all think we do but in the process of doing that she discovers a family secret that essentially blows everything up and will cause more chaos essentially Mm -hmm. and and what came first when you were thinking about the project, the family, the secret? How did Hope and Glory kind of unfold? Um, yes, I think first and foremost, it was Glory who mm. came to me because I was in a place where Glory was at the start of the novel, not really knowing what she's doing with her life, wondering if she's made the right decisions, kind of trying to desperately make a success of herself to like prove the sacrifices of her immigrant parents were worth it. But feeling like she's not really going anywhere and not getting that success that she's been hoping for so um she came first and then I started to build the family around her and I was really interested in essentially the family dynamics and how we all have different relationships with each member of our family compared to someone else's in our family so siblings have different relationships with parents siblings have different relationships with each other and um, I was really interested in that kind of dynamic because I think a lot of um stories especially quote-unquote millennial fiction because I'm technically like a millennial um is kind of about escaping the family or the family's not really present at the forefront but for me kind of growing up in the UK and I grew up in a very like white working class area we were the only black family for like miles around so my family was essentially a safe space for me mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they were perfect it doesn't mean that um like there's no kind of like problems there but 
it was the safe space in a very kind of hostile world in my childhood. So I wanted to just explore those dynamics, explore those relationships and kind of the things that cause strain and kind of push us apart, but hopefully eventually bring us together as well. Yeah, I mean, and the family, I, I have, a, I just have one sister and my parents are divorced, but I have, like, you're right, my sister and I have such different relationships with our parents. It's so interesting to see you know, how we interact with each other. And like, you, you really captured that like part where like the sister in the relationship, the brother in jail, how, how they deal with everything. Um, and like I said, at the top, it was, it, there's humor to it, but it's a very, not, not overly serious novel, but it hits on like, it's life. Life is funny and life is kind of crappy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like we laugh when we cry, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> we laugh, mm-hmm. we cry sometimes at the same time. But um, yeah, I think um, the humor was important, I think, because I think it's the language of how a lot of us talk and how a lot of us deal with things Um, we make. We find fun and laughter in situations that often aren't fun or humorous. And I think it was important to Glory's character as well, because um, she can be quite um a challenge <laughs> to, deal with, yeah. to be around to um so I think the humor was important because ultimately I like there was a bit of humanity in that that I think softens Glory's edges as well did you have to like think about the humorous side of it or did that come naturally for you um I think it came naturally um that's not to say that I think I'm very I'm particularly funny but Mm. just kind of like thinking about conversations that I have with like friends and stuff like a lot of the time we are just kind of making each other laugh and that humor kind of comes into it and um yeah I wouldn't say like I'm a like a comedy writer or I'm a comedian Mm -hmm. I think it's just a bit of dry humor gets the day going (laughs) no exactly I I I talk to a lot of friends about this where it's like we could be naturally funny in conversation. That's just our life, but we're not stand-up comedians. Like people are like, I can go up on stage. I was like, I don't think you can. Like you're funny because like <laughs> we're funny together and we're having a good time, but like yeah. you yourself aren't that clever. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm a little bit of prickly though. Um, one thing I did love about this and, and I enjoyed it even more after reading it because I watched a video of you, but the setting is so vital and so vibrant just I I love the video that your publicity team shared about you going around Peckham but talk about Peckham talk about like what it means to you and what it means to the book yeah so um as I said I grew up in a very like white working class neighborhood in Birmingham which is another town Mm -hmm. in England um and I had family I've always had family who've lived in Peckham which is in southeast London it's a very like vibrant neighborhood very diverse um some mm-hmm. people have called it little Lagos because there's a kind of quite strong Nigerian British community there but there's all kinds of different communities there as well there's Caribbean communities there's um kind of Middle Eastern communities it's just a really like vibrant um neighborhood mm-hmm. um so I moved to Peckham when I was 18, literally the week after I turned 18, I was like, I'm going to go to London and make my fame and fortune. (laughs) (laughs) And I moved to Peckham and I feel like it was somewhere that I really came into my own because there wasn't a lot of other Nigerians. I'm from a Nigerian background. There wasn't a lot of other Nigerians in Birmingham. So I moved to Peckham and I felt like I just kind of came into all different sides of myself, my adulthood, my Nigerian identity, um, I really loved living there. I thought it it was great. Um, It was just a really nice time of my life. And 
I actually wrote Hope and Glory when I wasn't living in Peckham any longer. I was living in a different neighborhood. So kind of writing it was a chance to travel back there. I'm still there regularly because I've still got family there, but it was a chance to kind of travel back to that version of myself who was like finding herself in London and um yeah I mean there's so many like especially like black UK artists who've come from Peckham and surrounding areas there's great food spots in Peckham to go to if you want to have um kind of like Nigerian street food or like other kinds of food as well so um yeah it's it's a great neighborhood to live in but it's changing right like so gentrification is happening everywhere it's changing the kind of dynamic of the community is changing a lot a lot of the social housing that used to be in Peckham has kind of been torn down and those communities have been dispersed across London and in some in some respects even across the UK so um I also wanted to preserve a version of Peckham that I knew and kind of pay homage to that community and that version that I lived in because I just think it's a really like special place and people make places what they are yeah and and this has nothing really to do with the book but you brought up the idea of gentrification now um I live in a, a very gentrified city I won't get into that, but uh, <laughs> ha- have you seen like friends and family who have lived in Peckham? Like, like you said, they dispersed all over London, all over the UK. I mean, what's what's it look like for them? Because I think people think, oh, this new high rise went in. That's it. We're gentrified. But I don't think I, a lot of people think about the people that were actually displaced. Yeah, because it's... Um gentrification is like when we talk about it we often think about it in terms of like oh like new coffee shops and Mm -hmm. new like shiny buildings but it's like there's actually a character of the community that is displaced and that's kind of gone so um in Peckham like I have an auntie in Peckham who's actually moved from inside Peckham's like at like kind of like quite far it's not even the suburbs it's like right 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 outside of London and um the it's just like the vibe changes so I have there's a scene in um Hope and Glory where Glory's kind of returning to Peckham and she's noticing the way that old Peckham and new Peckham kind of grind up against each other so you've got Mm. kind of like the um the African churches with like the scratchy sound systems blaring out of like speakers. And then you've got the baristas kind of like grinding coffee for like the art students who kind of live nearby. And one of the very practical aspects of that is the way that these communities can not necessarily always coexist because there's different expectations. So there was quite a big uproar a while, a few years ago, about a new yoga studio that moved into um, Peckham. And they basically started putting out noise complaints for like (laughs) um, the churches who had kind of like been in the area for like decades. And a lot of people were not happy about that. But um, I think that kind of vibrancy and that kind of the kind of taste of an area and like the, the vibe of an area can change. And it just almost feels almost like the people who weren't who lived there might not even necessarily be welcome so there's another scene in hope and glory where they're going to like a new coffee shop and one of the characters feels quite like he's lived in peckham all his life but he kind of feels like i don't really feel comfortable in this space and that kind of vibe of like um this doesn't belong to you anymore you it's not even like oh you will share your space by force it's almost like you don't even belong here anymore Mm. you there's no space for you here and um that tension um 
yeah it's, it's it's not nice and it changes the face of the city and ironically all the things that bring people to an area the vibrancy the community the culture all of that gets pushed out and then we just yeah. have like another copycat neighborhoods yeah yeah it's wild to me to see um in my old college town there was this like music venue that's been there since i was a student so at least over a decade ago and um a new building complex got put in right next to it and they're putting noise complaints and i was like well maybe don't put the building complex right next to a rock venue yeah um, yeah yeah it's so wild to me um you touched upon I mean, the books about family, you touched upon like leaving your family at 18 and, and having like a tight knit community in, in Peckham. How, how did like, I guess your family shape your writing, not just for this book, but throughout your career? Because I know you do other things and we'll touch on that later. But was yeah. your family like influential in your writing? Um, I think influential in a sense where they've always just so like believed in me. <laughs> like cool. that's been really kind of great like my growing up for ages all I would get as presents was books from like my aunties like that was it was like it wasn't oh what am I gonna get it'll be what book are they gonna buy me now which was great they really encouraged that kind of like literary aspect my parents as well quite unlike a lot of um I would say quote unquote traditional Nigerian parents they very much let me just explore what I wanted so I also studied art and design which I remember one of my other Nigerian friends being like how did you get your parents to like <laughs> let you do this and I was like I don't know they're just kind of cool like that so um just in terms of yeah they've just been really kind of like supportive and they're the reason why I wanted to write about a family which isn't perfect but ultimately is lovable because I think um not to I recognize that a lot of people don't come from family backgrounds that are that way but I wanted to pay homage to those to that kind of family dynamic because um yeah I just felt like I wasn't kind of seeing enough of families kind of coming to the fore in like newer millennial kind of fiction and um yeah, I mean, even my granddad, he he was actually, um, he's passed away now, but my granddad was a novelist as well. I've got his book on my shelf and I haven't read it yet because I'm a bit scared in case I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, he's kind of been a, um, a overarching influence, inspiration in my life as well. And even my grandparents on my mum's side, both of them were actually literature teachers, um, um, back in Nigeria so they both taught kind of like English and literature so I think that has kind of just fed into who I am and what I've naturally pursued yeah yeah that's beautiful I I love that like you, you're afraid sure your grandfather's work in case you don't like it that's great um that gave, that made me laugh um Getting into the nitty gritty of the publishing world, kind of, um, you mentioned the millennial novel, um, you know, we're millennials, you and I, um, a lot of people think Sally Rooney is the end all be all. And good, yeah. I mean, she's great, but like everyone compares everybody who's, I think, 25 to 35 to Sally Rooney, especially if they're a woman from the UK. Um, yeah. Did, did you get a lot of that, like public editors or agents saying like, well, this doesn't really fit the mold of what we're looking for? Did, did you see any of that? No, I think oh. I've I've been really blessed in cool. terms of the time that I've come out. Um, there have been so many other writers who I feel like have let, 
have kind of like laid a course for me not in a sense of for me to follow but just like opened a door so obviously we've got Candice Carty Williams mm-hmm. with Queenie we've got Balu Babalala with her collection of short fiction Loving Colour and it was like um and I think it's quite key that they are also two black women so I'm not going to get comp- realistically I'm not going to get compared to Sally Rooney because I'm mm-hmm. not a white woman I'm going to be compared to other kind of like black women but these kind of like younger millennial writers have really just opened the possibilities in terms of what we can write about and I always say this because I'm like I'm an editor at a website that is for black women yeah. and for black women writers and I always say it's a great time to be a black woman writer in the UK right now it's probably the best time that it's ever been just because there's so many of us doing work which speaks to each other so a lot of those kind of like conversations where you're having to explain yourself don't necessarily need to happen because someone else has already like created a world that is feasible. So like Queenie created a world that was feasible for other black women writers to kind of come through and write. And thankfully, like I'm, I'm, I haven't, it's not like, oh, you're the next Candice Kai Williams. Thankfully I've not had that because there is no next version of someone else. Someone's always just kind of doing their thing. But like, I have to be real that those writers have made a way for me and um, just a space where we can exist. And there's not really been too much of that comparison, I think. And I think that's just a blessing. Um, I was kind of expecting when the book went out on submission that there would be kind of like oh those comparisons but yeah Yeah. that's Um, good yeah yeah I've had a great experience like I can't can't lie I've had a really good experience publishing this book um so I'm really grateful no that's good I hear so many authors who um I think the traditional publishing industry will say oh we we already have an author that checks these boxes yeah. almost. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear you said it's such a great time to be a black woman in the UK for publishing. That's so, that's so great to hear that. Like we're breaking down those traditional boundaries or I don't even want to say traditional is bullshit boundaries that people put up. <laughs> um, yeah. You mentioned uh, the website, you're an editor for black ballad. Um, yeah. I just talk a little bit more about that. I was reading through it since like um, over the past few weeks. It's a beautiful site. I, I love it. the mission. I love everything about it. Just tell readers about us in case they don't know. Yeah. So um, Black Ballad, um, it was actually a website that was founded because um, one of the co-founders, Toby, was a journalist. And she just felt like she was pigeonholed in terms of what she could write about as a Black woman journalist. Mm-hmm. So it was very much like waiting until something race came up and then editors will be looking for a black voice to talk about this race related thing but she wanted to create a space where black women could just write about whatever whether it's kind of like a lifestyle whether it's politics whether it's um personal essays and um I've been head of editorial there since um I think full-time for the last two years I came on board a little bit before that in a part-time capacity and it's really helped me as a writer, actually. I think just working with so many different writers, writing from so many different perspectives, it's definitely sharpened up my own kind of like craft in terms of writing, but also it's just opened me up to a world of like stories from women who look like me, but not necessarily are me or not necessarily even look like me at the same time. It's just like a variety of 
black women and their experiences and that helped me as I was writing because I'm used to kind of writing with that or commissioning or writing with that idea that I'm writing for black women in Britain so when I came to write my book I thought yeah why not I'll kind of do it in that same way and I think that really helped me keep focused because you know sometimes when you're writing you're kind of thinking oh who's gonna read this oh you might be thinking that you want to catch this audience or catch that audience and I think especially in the age of Twitter you can almost preempt your criticism because <laughs> <laughs> you see so many people's opinions so so much of the time you can almost preempt what people might criticize about your work and that can bring in a sort of paralysis if you're not careful but thankfully working for Black Ballad I've been in this kind of bubble of just being able to focus on a very specific audience and then being able to bring that to the novel, I think really helped as well. So awesome. And then going back to Hope and Glory, have your family, have people from Peckham, have they read it? What's their, what, what was the feedback like after they finally saw your world? Yeah, so um, thankfully the feedback so far has been really, really positive. And being that I'm not originally from Peckham, yeah. I really wanted to have the eyes of people who are from Peckham like on it so even the audiobook is read by Kelechi Okafor who's from Peckham and she's an actress and she did an amazing job with that um the the it's actually been optioned by um the novel's been optioned by a production company and the screenwriter working on that is originally from Peckham as well a black woman from Peckham so it's just like all the things are just aligning (laughs) and it's been really great to hear them say you know what this felt like South London like this felt so real and it felt so um truthful and authentic in terms of what our experiences are and just hearing other readers say the same thing and I've had a lot of kind of like feedback from black women who felt that way but then also from women from other communities like other immigrant backgrounds and non-immigrant backgrounds who were like I saw my family in this like I could relate to this so yeah I'm just I feel like I'm on cloud nine because I'm like, it's like, that's all you want to hear that the people who you wrote for get it, but then the other people can also see the universality in it and connect as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm a white dude from America and I connected with it so hard just because like family is universal, you know, like it's, and, and, and I, I remember Eliza, your U S publicist, at least I think sent it or emailed me saying I would like it. And instantly loved it. Like, I mean, yeah, I think I talked great. about it. I, I forgot it wasn't out yet almost because I've been talking about it for so long. Um, and and then and then speaking of uh, like, I, I could talk, I could just compliment you all day, first of all. Amazing, amazing writer. You mentioned Candace Cardi-Williams who wrote um, Queenie, which is also one of my most recommended books. And people think it's so weird coming from me. I'm like, no, it's funny. It's sexy. It's, it's real. Yeah. And like your book, yeah. it, it's like a it's very similar in that it is authentic and real and and funny but touches on so many different things um anyway yeah. have yeah. you been reading anything else that you love or that's on your radar that that just your friends have written that you haven't gotten to your your grandpa's novel <laughs> yeah uh, my grandpa's novel that would be this summer I will read <laughs> on my it's on my reading list for this summer definitely but um in terms of what I what I've been reading um I read um I've been talking about this a lot actually but Mm -hmm. I read Sula by Toni Morrison for the first time and I feel like it's one of Toni Morrison's books that isn't spoken about as much as her other Mm -hmm. work 
and I read it and I I mean obviously it's Toni Morrison right so you're kind of prepared to be like wowed but I was really kind of just blown away by how um how prescient it mm-hmm. it feels like however many decades later so I, I really really enjoyed um I really enjoyed that I luckily I got to read um Bolly Babalola's um first full-length novel which is coming out like later on this year Honey and Spice very different like a romantic comedy mm-hmm. kind of vibe which I loved um it was just it's just great to see people writing in so many different forms um and another book that I read which is very different from the stuff that I actually um, write but it's called The Leviathan and it's by Rosie Andrews I think her surname's Andrews Rosie Andrews and it's actually a historical um novel kind of set in um uh, my my history is terrible but it's kind of like civil war britain like mm-hmm. civil war england so way back when very different to what i usually read but it was just so well researched so immersive like i literally felt like i was i was there mm. in um that kind of period of time and it had a little bit of like mystical kind of um aspects to it as well which which is great but um yeah so those are some of the things that I've been reading recently and um I'm just looking forward to um getting into more quote-unquote genre work Mm -hmm. because I feel like I don't necessarily read that enough because for my job as well I get sent a lot of kind of yeah. um books which tend to be kind of like literary skewing or non-fiction mm-hmm. so yeah but I love a good thriller I love a good thriller I love a good rom-com I just love something that find kind of feels like a movie in a book that just yeah. kind of like takes you there so yeah, I'm I think that's to that's that. what I've been doing in like 2022 maybe not for day beautiful but just reading books I would never normally read um going into genre I've been reading a lot of like horror comic books which is like just different because it's a different medium altogether which I don't normally read but it's been real fun to just kind of I think from all my 20s and early 30s I was like I'm gonna read like serious stuff or whatever I'm like I want to read like a book about dragons now who cares like I don't it's (laughs) that's I mean not that it's not and it's beautifully written and it's real and it's it's literature that needs to be um covered that's just something I just for some reason in my head was like never reading um yeah I think there's been this dividing line between like literary fiction and genre fiction Mm -hmm. and I feel like all of those conventions are are just blurring a little bit because so many facets of whatever made literary literary are coming into genre what so much of genre is coming into literature and it's it's great because I definitely think that um when I was younger I used to read what I think I was meant to read like the intellectual (laughs) kind of books that you're quote-unquote meant to read to show that you're like smart and I didn't enjoy a lot of them Mm -hmm. (laughs) But but now I'm just getting back to enjoying what I'm reading Thank you so much for Jandela Benson for joining the podcast today. You can find her at her website, jandela.co.uk, and on Twitter and Instagram at Jandela. And I love that so much. She is just one name on all social media and her website. Much like Day Beautiful, we're daybeautiful.net, and you can get us all social media-wise at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.